God is not offended by him being tested at all. But, but Barak, he puts a limitation on God. And he says, oh, I'll do it. But only if you come with me. Yes, sir. And it kind of makes sense what he says for that. But at the same time, that implies a lack of trust in God. Now, sometimes... Oh, yes, sir. I, sorry, I, sorry, Kim. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> I put. I read the whole chapter. I could not put the whole chapter on, um, on that sheet. It is chapter four. I couldn't put the whole chapter on the sheet, Kim, because it would have been super small. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it's the whole chapter that we read. I just couldn't put it on that sheet because <laughs> we never would have it. Now, sometimes, guys, we, we, we dig into Scripture. Sometimes we use the Scripture as, as a diving board. So this is what I want us to talk about, okay? I want us to talk about two words. And, and here's why. Because I think that we need to, to focus on these two words when it comes to God working through people. Because this whole story is about God working through people. God commands someone to do something, but then it says the Lord routes before him. See, God wanted to use, well, who did he want to use? He wanted to use Barak. Barak. But he didn't need to use him. And that's where a huge difference is. See, God works uh, incarnationally. And I, I mention this all the time. There are two things that I come back to pretty much every week. One is the Trinity and one is the Incarnation. Now, what is the Incarnation? Well, Jesus is the, is the Incarnation, but it is also God in human form. Now, God in human form is Jesus Christ, but he also works incarnationally, which means that, that God works through Sometimes, yes. But he works through people. He, literally, if you look at the Latin, think carne, which is, is Spanish, I know, but it means meat or flesh. The Spanish teacher walks in. We usually have three in the room. We, you walk right at that one time. <laughs> so, guys, God works that way. And you see it again and again and again in Scripture. Matter of fact, you're going to be seeing it all throughout the book of Judges. We saw it last week. But this week, specifically, God says, go do this. And, and there's a way that can happen. It can be God needs us or God wants to work through us. And there's a huge difference there. If God needs us, if, if he needs to work through us incarnationally, well, then whose responsibility is it to, to make sure stuff happens? What's well, ours? You know, there used to be this song when I... When I uh, First kind of started going to church, there was this song called You May Be the Only Jesus Some Will Ever See. 
And I don't remember anything else except for that line. And it was a really great thing because what it's trying to say is when you go out, you are displaying to people the nature of Christ. And for them, you may be the best example of what God is like that they may ever see. But that can then be turned into this amazing guilt-inducing thing of, I didn't display Jesus to this person. They'll never know Jesus because I didn't display him. But that's not the way it works. God doesn't need to work through us. He wants to work through us. Here's, here's why I think this connects with this story. So Deborah speaks for God and commands who? Barak. I feel like I just pulled a Bueller there. I'm sorry. I asked a question, then I answered it rather than waiting for you guys. But he, he, she commands on behalf of God, Barak, to go and, and do work. And he says, if. And was God shown shaking in his shoes at this point? No. He didn't need a plan B because God can just go, okay, I'll just work through this person instead. That's not a plan B. It's not like, well, if, if Jacob can't work, then, then I'll work through Aaron. It's not, you know, like a plan B. It's, I can use anybody. And he wants to work through us. That's huge, Gus. And it should affect our life over and over and over. I I just think that when we think God works through us, sometimes we end up thinking that it's this need, but it's not. It's want. It frees up so many things. It means that he is ultimately responsible for what takes place through us. He is ultimately responsible because he is the one who is working through us. And if we fail, he can work through somebody else. If, if we don't pick it up and we don't do it, we're missing out on, on working with God. But it doesn't mean that the work doesn't happen. I had a professor in seminary who used to say that God's plan is never frustrated. Now, we could be frustrating to him. <laughs> But his plan is never frustrated. Which is why the book of the Revelation can read uh, all throughout it. And do you know what happens in the end? God wins. And it's not dependent upon, oh my goodness, I, I, I hope Amanda does this. And if Amanda doesn't paint the right scene in this play that she's working on, the whole book of the Revelation is destroyed at this point. All because of the fact that you paint a tree instead of a rock. It's not dependent on us. It's dependent on God. But He wants to work through us. That's why. Case in point. I I love uh, 2 Corinthians. Guys, can you see this part? Is this on the page? Okay. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. God talks about how He has called us to the ministry of reconciliation. Think about that for a second. The whole story of the gospel is that we rebel against God. And God is like, I will not have them separated from me. I will make the path, uh, path for them to be reconciled with us. With, with, well, us is actually appropriate since he's Trinitarian. Uh, but reconciled with me. He makes the path. That, he just literally creates the path for us to be reconciled to him. And then he invites us to be a part of of him reconciling others. 
He wants to work through you and me. He, he longs like a father longs to, to cut grass with his son or his daughter. As a mother longs to cook with her, with her son or daughter. Our heavenly father longs to work through you and me. And that's the key. He doesn't need to. If I'm out of town and something happens at the house, I need my, my, my wife or, or my boys to fix it. But if I'm at home, I want them to work with me. So he calls us to the ministry of reconciliation. I actually like verse 20 all the more because he calls us ambassadors. I just love the thought of being an ambassador. I feel like I should get a pen that says, like, be like one of the Mormon missionaries instead of Elder Robert, like Ambassador Robert, and just see what happens. It would be kind of fun to walk around the university with that, that name badge. Actually, I could do that as chaplain. I could one-up the priest there. He's, you know, the priest chaplain. I'll be the ambassador chaplain. That would be fun. So <laughs> here's another example. One of my personal favorite stories in all of Scripture is uh, John 6, Verses 1 through 14. It's the feeding of the 5,000, which is told in all four of the Gospels. But the reason I like it in uh, John 6 is instead of just mentioning five loaves. And here's my fish. That looks like an infinity sign. Okay. There. Instead of just mentioning five loaves and two fishes, it mentions something else. Actually, that's not right. It mentions someone else. Mentions a little boy whose lunch it was. And I love the fact that that the little boy is mentioned. Because let's be honest here. We all know that with 5,000 men there and and women and children also, maybe as many as 25,000 people, surely one kid was not the only one to bring a lunch. I mean, just think about it. How many of you actually have something to snack on here with you? Anybody? There we go. What do, what do you have, Robin? I'm curious. You have juice. I usually go and I bring something to snack. I'm not meaning by that. Oh, the, you know, they had lunches and they were here. But surely somebody else brought, uh, brought a lunch. Surely out of up to 25,000 people. Somebody else brought a lunch. Jesus didn't really even need a little bit of bread to start with. But he, he chose to start with some bread. He wanted to work through that little boy. Can you imagine, I, I literally imagine for just a second, what it would be like if you were below the age of 12, because we know that this person would have been below the age of 12, because he's described as a boy versus a man. And at the age of 13, he would have been a man as far as the culture was concerned. Imagine that you're, let's say, a 10-year-old and the most important person in the city comes up to you as like, I want to use that, and it belongs to you. And everybody there knows it. Okay, like right now, in, in Stephen's point, trivia is going going on, and there are people driving really, really slow around the neighborhood because they're looking for the clues, and all the pizza joints are hopping because they're thrilled by this whole thing right now. And your neighborhood probably has one house that has lots of cars in it, and, and, and they're up all night long. What if Oz said, Elliot... I want you to be on, on the air for like 20 minutes and just tell us your story. One, you'd probably be a little scared, but you'd also be thrilled. See, I love this story because Jesus 
wants to work through this little boy. He doesn't have to. He doesn't need to. He wants to. See, Barack, 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 (laughs) he missed out on the opportunity. But God wasn't destroyed by that. He just said, oh, I'll use somebody else. And he picked somebody that everyone there would have thought of as insignificant. Okay, maybe it's appropriate for us to to mention one woman and say she's in a place of power, but she's not even described as a powerful person. What is the description of her? Wife. Now, I don't mean that in a bad way. Ladies, uh, you who are married, uh, you're you're wonderful, uh, wonderful, uh, you're in a wonderful spot, you're in a wonderful position, but back then this would have just been like, oh, she's property. She's insignificant. And God chooses to use her. And not only use her, but she does the most graphic, horrific thing ever. I mean, from these descriptions that are here, who's the warrior? Yeah. I mean, guys, can you imagine going out on a date with her? (laughs) What do you mean you're not going to open the door for me? Is that an antenna? I can use that. I mean, guys, she... Was the one, if you read the story, she's vicious. How awesome is that? Because God didn't need to work through Barak. He wanted to. And when Barak didn't didn't do it, he's like, "Eh, I'll still use you. Here's the fun part. And when you get down to it, there are two heroes of the story. Barak still kind of gets in there because God's like, oh still let you be a part of it but there are two heroes of the story the story and they are yeah does that not just floor you again <laughs> i bet you do because even in scripture this is still it is not a patriarchal document but it was written during a patriarchal time and even in scripture this is still rare god would work through anybody it didn't matter what everybody else thought god would work through anyone so what does that mean for you and I? See, I think every now and then we use the stories of the Bible. And if you were raised in a, a more liturgical background, if you were Catholic or so, I think quite often we use the, the stories of the saints as an excuse. They're, they're actually supposed to be inspiration. They're supposed to inspire us to, to do more But I think quite often what happens instead is we use it as, oh, they did that and they're special. That's really, besides the fact that in Scripture, saint is described as anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. My biggest problem outside of Scripture, that doesn't sound right because then it sounds like my problem is my own emotions, which is true sometimes. Um, But, I mean, I don't like it because scripturally saints just means holy one. But the other reason I don't like it is because when we call them saints, it makes them special and somehow different. And, and the stories of the, the gospel and the stories of the Old Testament are not about God taking special people and doing something with them. It's about God taking ordinary people and them, them becoming special because God uses them. I think the Lord's Supper is the best example of that. God takes ordinary bread And it becomes special because he uses it. That's it. 
I mean, you see what I put up here. We use Welch's grape juice. Nobody's ever gone like, Welch's, that's the best grape juice. I mean, I do love the taste of it. But, you know, you don't have to, to, to spend $300 on it. Which is so often what we do with religious stuff. Um, as, as Baptists, we don't anoint with oil a lot. But I, as a chaplain in the hospital... Uh, I've been asked to anoint somebody with oil. He's like, I'm, I'm Baptist. Could you anoint me? Because James says that you know, an elder should come and, and anoint the sick and pray for the sick and you will be healed. Um, and he said, could you anoint me? And I was like, sure, that's, that's perfectly fine. The problem is I don't have any oil. This is the first time I've done this in like six years. I don't usually carry oil with me. And I said, let me go talk to uh, the priest chaplain and see if I can use his. Because I was actually kind of worried... <laughs> Catholic, why does it get real offensive? He's like, oh, no, that would be great. And he gives me this thing. It's called an oil stock. I'm like, this thing's awesome. It's waterproof or, in this case, oil proof. It's like, I should get one of these. And, you know, it's got a ring. And I, it took me a little while to, to figure out what the ring was for. But you open it up and you stick it on your finger. I could have, like, a, a, an oil stock ring. You want to talk about Cool. No, it, it's you put the ring on and then you open it up. It's like a container ring that fits on your your finger. And it's just really, really cool. I thought, well, this is awesome. I don't use oil very often, but this would be nice to have. Uh, and, and I looked into buying one. Would you like to know how much this piece of aluminum cost? A <laughs> hundred bucks. Why? Well, actually, no. In this case, it's not. It's it's just from any ordinary place. You can find them on eBay because it's religious. Yes, sir. I thought about not, but I I, I, I didn't think it would be good. <laughs> so I I made another one. If you see mine now, I have made one. Uh, it's a Burt's Bees tin. That I then thought, well, somebody's going to go, oh, it's a Burt's Bees tent. It doesn't count. You know what I did? I, I uh, sanded it down and removed all the paint from it, except for just a, a little bit left on it, which makes it look really, really cool. So cool that the other priests are like, that's awesome. Where did you buy that? I'm like, quick trip. <laughs> <laughs> See, we take things and we're like, oh, it must be special to use it. You have to have an oil stock. God takes ordinary things. And they become special because he uses them. You and me. Just ordinary people that he wants to use. So what does that mean? I think three things. First is this. Look around. The people who serve are the ones who get used to serving because they're looking around and they're expecting to serve. And it starts off with small things. Uh, Zechariah. I have to look this one up. Uh, Zechariah 4.10 says that we should not, uh, should not hate the small things. Because servants are made, they're not just born. Some of us in the room have a more natural tendency to serve. Some of us in the room don't have a more natural tendency to serve. But the people who serve the most are the ones who are looking to serve. To use the bomb that took place in the Boston Marathon, the people who ran to help versus running away to safety, they didn't just do that because they were somehow heroic in and of themselves. They did that because they trained themselves. They got used to responding to things. 
Nobody goes, you know what, I'll be there and I'll respond the day a bomb blows up. It just doesn't happen. I'm a chaplain for the police department. I spend some time with them. Do you know what 99% of their day is? Boredom. And they force themselves to go and do things. See, if you look for the small things, then you will be like the second chapter of Philippians uh, describes. It's called the Christ song. I mention it every now and then. Um, it, it describes that Jesus didn't consider himself more important than others is the basic way. He, he expects us to look at each other and consider your needs more important than my needs. And the problem is, is sometimes we go, oh, I'll do that in the big thing. And if we're not looking for the little things over and over and over again, we'll never see the big thing. So the first thing, if, if God wants to use you and me, and we want to be a part of that. You and I need to be looking for, uh, for little things over and over this week. Make it your goal to serve three people. If you make it your goal, you start looking for it. Because let's face it, if you're like me and you have a goal, by the end of the week I'm like, oh my goodness, I've only served two people. I must serve someone now. Next week, if I've only served two people, when you walk in the room, there's a really good chance I'm going to be bringing you a snack. You could say, what? <laughs> Robin's and I picked three and miss one. Um, guys, you could view it as manipulative, but it's part of training. The marathon or the half marathon I ran today, for me, that was just training. My goal is to, is to, to make a personal uh, best at the Justice Works half marathon uh, this September. And so this was a part of my training. Because if I don't run daily, I will never make a personal best. Anybody can finish a half marathon. I want to run it faster than I've ever run it before. So you train yourself. You look for the small things. You make yourself into a servant because you want to be used by God who wants to use you. Here's the second thing. Act. I know that sounds simple, but the problem is, is quite often, it, it maybe may not you, but, but I do, I wait for the perfect opportunity. Or I think, you know what? I'm not the right person to do that. I don't have enough training to do that. I, I, as I've mentioned, I, was a, I am a chaplain at the hospital at least for another five weeks, but probably for a little longer than that because I said, hey, I really enjoy this. I'd like to volunteer. And when they heard free labor, they were all about that. And the most amazing thing to me was the, things, the situations that I got put into was like, I don't have any training for this had an individual who, who wanted to have an advanced health care directive. In other words, if I cannot speak for myself anymore, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. And he's like, I want to have that because I don't want a feeding tube stuck into my, uh, to my body. I don't want them to keep me alive when I'm wanting to die. And I got a call and it took me 15 minutes to get to the hospital. And in the 15 minutes I got to the hospital, he was no longer uh, conscious and the doctor is looking at me and he's saying, does he seem cognizant to you? And I'm like, you're the physician. <laughs> I had no training to do that. It was my training. And they were saying, we trust in what you know right now and we know you will learn more. Get to work. 
God is not waiting for you to get it perfected. He is not waiting for you to know enough scripture to tell somebody about what he has done in your life. He is not waiting for you to learn a new skill, for you to volunteer and help somebody. He's waiting for you to say yes, and then he will provide the difference. There's this passage in Mark, and it's Mark 13, 11. Uh, and what's described is Jesus says, one day you'll be arrested. And he says, at that point, don't worry, those are supposed to be lips, about what you will say. He says, don't worry about what you will say when they want you to speak for what you've just been arrested for. Those are not as bad a lips as I thought they were. You guys are mocking me. So, he says the reason you don't have to worry is because at that point, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Maybe you don't know how to love in, in, in a certain fashion when something terrible happens. Try. See, the beauty of, of want is if it depends upon God, He's the one who's got to make it happen. He just wants to use you. It, it, think of, of young, young children cutting the grass. Only an idiot would send a six-year-old out there to cut the grass and then complain if it's not done right. God doesn't expect you to be a spiritual giant. He just wants to use you like you're one. So don't wait for it to be perfect. And the other part of that is to expect God to fill in the blanks. There's a passage of scripture that says that when we do not know what to pray, the spirit will pray for us with yearnings we do not understand. I love that. There are circumstances I've gone into where it's like, I have no earthly idea what to pray here. Some of you know uh, about the uh, UWSP student who hung herself uh, last semester. Not this semester, but last semester. And I was on call uh, for the police department at that time and got a call and said, hey, we need you to come in and talk to the roommate who found her. I have no training for that. Nobody's ever said, hey, by the way, one day, if there is a young lady who hangs herself and she's found by another young lady who has lived with her for a year and a half, this is what you say. There's no training for that. And I'll freely tell you, I had not the slightest idea what to pray. The beauty is, I didn't have to know. I needed to trust. So I, I think we need to act, and, and that means not waiting for us to be perfect or the situation to be perfect, and, and also expecting God to fill in the blanks and for Him to take care, care of things because He's the one responsible. And then the third thing is just simply this. Repeat. What are the instructions on your shampoo say? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Actually, to be completely honest, Elliot, I have no earthly idea what the instructions on your, your, your shampoo says. And I just understood your joke. I thought you were just being funny at that point. And I, I was going to make it a joke off that. And it's the exact same joke you just made. So never mind. <laughs> so Pete just nailed it. Rinse, wash, repeat. See, anybody can do this one time. Anybody. God wants to do it all the time. And he wants to do it through you. And he wants to do it through me. So say yes. Jump in there. And then repeat. 
why I love the story of uh, the story that we just read. God didn't reject Barak, but Barak didn't get the full uh, the full example. Can you imagine how awesome it would have been if he just said yes? I mean, come on. If you're a warrior and the way you kill the other guys with a tent peg, that's con- that's just cool. <laughs> I mean, that's movie stuff right there. Gladiator. He's holding up a tent bag and his face is painted blue. He's like, freedom! I mean, that's awesome. I said gladiator. I'm sorry, I meant Braveheart. (laughs) That's how awesome it is though, okay? (laughs) Think all the stories. So you've got gladiator with the tent peg and his face is painted blue along with all the John Wayne movies you've ever seen. That's how cool it is, okay? So this week, look around, act, Repeat. And don't just repeat once. So, before I end, does anybody have anything to add? Yes, ma'am. I said ma'am this time, by the way. I just think I really appreciate the way you bring this up. For when I was in Bible school, you go through this class and it's like, you memorize these lines. And the way you Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you. I think Judges is one of the most incredible books in the in the Old Testament. But I mean, yeah. for a lot of people, you go through it and it's like, no, you want to read it for fun. And yeah. So it's really neat. Thank you. Thank you. Just wait till we start doing numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kim. I appreciate it. Uh, anything else that needs to be said? Then, guys, I just want to end with this. Go and do likewise. It's that simple. Let's pray. If you need somebody to pray with, I'll be in the back. Um, Otherwise, let's sing to the one who's worthy. And to do that, I need to flip that. So pray with me, please. Father, help us to believe that you want to use us. And then help us to say yes. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.